Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Allie Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, here we are, episode four. Wow. Are you excited? I am. I love what I, we're going to talk about today. Me too. I would, And, you know, we've been... Um, we realize like we need to almost keep it like don't shoot your wad kind of like don't talk about it too much before <laughs> we talk about it we want to keep it fresh and exciting um but i was just saying that this at where we're recording this right now the podcast has just gone live with the first two episodes and i feel so excited and i feel like um there's this meme picture of an otter mom and she's like showing her baby she's like thrusting the baby forward like look at this that i made and that's how i've been <laughs> feeling all week <laughs> It's so great. The best feedback I've gotten so far is my mom has said like repeatedly, wow, like I'm so surprised. It's really good. <laughs> I'm like, right? mom, come on. I mean, I feel so like she's the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> With that comment. Thanks mom. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So we have something super, I'm super excited. You were saying how excited you are. I'm also very excited about work what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I love this topic and we yeah. could talk for hours and hours about this topic. Probably eventually we will, but yeah, we have a specific starting point today. Right. About any topic really. Um, and I realized too, I was, when I was editing this, when I was editing the podcast for sound, I realized we still have an unkept promise where last episode we talked about value and identity, but we still didn't talk about the toxic systems that make that hard. So now we have a promise for another episode. All right. I'm glad you're keeping track yeah. of all of those. I know. Right. Well, it's only because I'm listening. I, I was listening to them to make sure the sound wasn't. And it was so funny because I texted you the night it went live and I was checking it on through Apple podcasts. I was like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong. We sound like chipmunks. And then I realized, <laughs> I realized I always listen to my podcasts on two times speed. So all was well, everything was fine. Yes. We're not yeah. chipmunks in real life. We're, we're not chipmunks. Okay. So today we're going to talk about your becoming a feminist. Is there right. a better way I to say that? I'm kind of in denial. <laughs> Is there a better that. way? Like I'm talking with my hands right now, like this heart opening, like a butterfly emerging from her cocoon. <laughs> and I've got like my hands over my head, like kind of hiding from it. Like, right. And I'm like beautiful oh, yeah. rainbow wings unfurled, alley unleashed as a feminist. <laughs> I mean, it is interesting how provocative that word is by itself. Right. Well, what, what, I mean, I was, I was debating whether we should launch right into how you're starting to identify more that way, or actually, I mean, who cares about the labels, right? Call yourself a right. unicorn. I don't care. Um, whether we should launch right into where that started or whether we should create a bunch of background about where I am, where you are in it, in the conversation, which do you think? I mean, I think the in most interesting thing around it is that we've both worked in pretty male dominated um, environments our whole lives, but I have never identified that way. Like I never, I never appreciated the differences or, you know, sort of the places I had to swim upstream. And then you were always really aware of it. And so I think right. that is really an interesting access point. Right. It's, it's interesting because, um, so on one of the earlier podcasts, you were saying, oh, every time I say what I do, 
people are going to think I'm just making it up because I do so many different things, but <laughs> my, my main professional career has been in software and a little bit in mathematics. Right. So traditionally very masculine professions and software, especially is like super bro culture. Um, I can remember going to conferences where I was literally, literally, it was like 40 to one, 50 to one, maybe even more than that, where I walk in a room and it's just all men. Um, right. And it's interesting because, gosh, I don't even know where to, where to start with all of this. I've always played more with boys in, in, the, in general, you know, as I get yeah. older and my life changes and I'm a mother now and everything, I'm more in the community of women, but um, it's so funny. We were talking about this the other day. And then I remembered my mom told me when I was born that I was the only girl in a nursery of like 10, 10 boys. So oh, wow. from birth, <laughs> I've, I've played in, but, and, and I love, I mean, that's part of the fun thing for me, or I guess fun, different, unique, however you want to say it about the way I do come from feminism is that I, I adore men. I just, I think they're the greatest. I love to play with them. I love to hang out with them. Um, and even when I was a little girl, so many of my friends were boys from when I was really tiny up through high school. Um, it changed a little bit more in college and beyond, but, um, my mom in high school, in high school used to call it my posse. I always had like boys kind of <laughs> flitting around, but, um, I can remember being a little girl and I never wanted to be a boy. I never felt that way, but, um, I remember like how unfair it felt to me that all my friends were peeing in a bucket and I could not. I could not <laughs> pee in that bucket. Um, <laughs> and I know that story because my mom told me she looked out in the yard and saw me trying to pee in a bucket and it, it, it wasn't going great. Oh, no, <laughs> right. We, we don't have the right gear, right? You like know, I was raised by my dad, you know, from the time I was in, you know, like high school on. And so I think that I, and I also had mostly, you know, guy friends, especially during that time of my life. Um, but I didn't have any of that. Like, I wish I, you know, like, I wish I had the same equipment. This isn't fair, but well, I mean, I, I think, think I came into a little older. It wasn't even about wanting the equipment. It was like the result of being able to pee in a bucket. That seemed really cool. Right. Um, I, I mean, even now I think that would be cool. It would be cool. Right. Like and it, you can pee in a bucket as a girl, but it's just, it just requires it's a little way more. less convenient. Right. Yeah. Well, I say too, like we can write our name in the snow, but you have to run really fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, the imagery. <laughs> right? I mean, I have a short name, so it helps. Like I could get Lynn done probably with one bottle of water, right? And oh my um, but no, and it, what's really interesting too is how it evolved for me. So when I when I was growing up and had mostly boyfriends, and not always, you know, my best friend, you know, it was a girl, and although one of my best friends from high school I would consider was a boy, um, I never really felt like I had to conform, like. I was a girl, they were boys and, you know, whatever. Um, right. But as I got into my career, you were mentioning, you know, when I worked in software, um, I step into this very, and not just men, but like very bro. Um, and that's a conversation for another day. Everything is a conversation for another day too. We're never going to run out of episodes, but um, it's not just a masculine environment. It's a very specific kind of like it's getting a little better, but when I was in the peak of it, um, it's like a very chest thumpy, you know, and I walked into that space and, and also the kind of software I did was largely defense contracting, which is kind even of paramilitary. So. Yeah. Even more sort of paramilitary, um, like very much. And my reaction to that unconsciously, I don't think I, 
maybe consciously a little bit was like, okay, so what there is to do is for me to really conform to this environment, you know, to be tough, to swear more, um, and just kind of toe the line and be more masculine. And we're using these terms in very, you know, with very gross parameters around it, like very broad strokes, um, you know, but to be tougher. And we were talking before this podcast, like there's no crying in software, you know, to just be (laughs) really tough. Um, and sometimes it was real and sometimes it was an act. Um, right. But that was my reaction to it. Not like, Hey, uh, this is really an unbalanced environment. And it's funny too, because traditionally, um, like, uh, Hedy Lamar, the film star, I mean, she's known as a film star, but she basically invented Wi-Fi. And, um, early on, there were just as many women in, in computer programming as there were men. And yeah. Oh yeah. Some of the earlier programmers, in fact, um, there's a famous photograph of this woman and she's standing next to, uh, and she's really young. She looks like she's in her twenties, maybe early thirties. She's standing next to this giant pile of paper. And it's the, I think it was the software for, gosh, now I can't remember. I can see the picture in my head, but I can't remember what it was for. And I think she's one who even coined the term computer scientist. And I can't remember her name right now. Um, I can see the picture of her in my head, but I can't remember her name. Um, But it was much more balanced. And then nobody can say exactly, right? There's no way to know exactly. But um, one of the things people point to is when the personal computer came out, it was marketed a lot as a toy for boys. Um, Mm. And then about a decade after that, so you picture boys kind of eight to 10 getting these computers, um, they hit college and they're already eight to 10 years ahead of a girl who didn't have a personal computer at home. Again, mm. this isn't the only reason, but that's a, and so it's like, oh, boys are to just, point to. yeah, right. Boys are just naturally better at this. And it's right. like, well, you know, if you worked, if you, if you played with this as a toy for eight years, yeah, you're naturally better at it. Um, and, and that's not even what we're going to talk about, but just to kind of set the background of, um, and then at some points in my career, I started, I, I encountered a lot of like straight up classic sexual harassment, sexual discrimination. Um, I was once called a whore in the company newsletter, like basically straight up, like someone wrote one of the senior directors um, made this comment that like I had gone to this conference and I tried to pick up one of our vendors to try to further the relationship. (laughs) And that was his idea of a super funny joke and, and nothing happened. Um, right. He sent me an, e- I went to the owner, my boss and I said, Hey, this is, and he was like, Oh my gosh, this is so un- you know, unacceptable. And, and I was married and the vendor was married so, and we were in Vegas. So there was some, <laughs> you know, the right. conference was in Vegas. And so there was some like, Hey, people are going to think this is really. And, uh, the result of it was I got a private email from that guy that said, I'm sorry if you were offended. And that was it. Nothing printed in the newsletter, no apology, nothing. That was, I was like, Oh, okay. right. Um, and there's lots of other stories like that, but, uh, but in the industry that I was in, there was definitely this unspoken and spoken that if you fuss about it, you're done. And the industry was very insular. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a fear. Like I, I knew women or knew of women who had kind of bucked the system and their careers were destroyed. Like nobody would hire them and they just you know, lost all the cachet. So there definitely was like a, toe the line on the sexual harassment discrimination side, but also like, if you're, if you're not doing well, it's because you're not, you're not, you're not cult, you're not good culture fit. And culture was right. you know, 
be, be masculine, <laughs> be a man, the bro culture, <laughs> right. The bro culture. Um, and then at the same time too, a lot of the people I worked with totally lovely. I was completely accepted and down in the lower, not lower, but like more ju- junior where you're really just cranking out technical stuff. Like you're kind of judged on that. And then I didn't really start buzzing against that glass ceiling until it got more into promotions and all that. And then realize, oh, oh, there's some secret criteria here, right. but that's not even what we wanted to talk about because no, no, no. But I do want to say like inside your stories, like I have two stories that really come to mind, even though they have nothing to do with the business world. Like I can remember I went on this like, um, work trip when I was in high school to an Indian reservation where we painted like a school for a week and they did some, like the tribe did some like teaching of like their traditions and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I remember one of the leaders of the tribe saying that one of their beliefs was that if a woman is raised by her father, that she'll always struggle with gentleness. And I like really took that on, right? Like, well, I should be gentle, but I'm raised by my dad. Like that stayed with me for years. And then I can also remember my ex-husband when we first got married or first were dating, he would say like, to his friends and to me, like the thing, one of the things that's super cool about Allie is like, she's kind of like one of the guys, like she's oh, yeah. basically like one of those girls. That's one of the guys and yeah, those are the best kind of girls. Yeah. yeah. I got that. And so there's all this, right. There's all this messaging around value and, and that kind of stuff. But even though I worked in essentially leadership roles, um, management and those kinds of things all along. I never really until recently saw how much leadership culture is really dominated by um, men. There's whole parts of my life where women weren't even allowed in leadership, like in the church or um, no one ever had senior positions in different companies, things like that. Yeah. And I'm actually remembering a book I read when I was in my late twenties and it was called hardball for women. And the woman was, it was very pragmatic. It was a very pragmatic book. She wasn't she wasn't taking a position of whether something was good or bad. She's like, this is just what's so. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about how, um, and again, very gross generalities here, but that um, boys in general grow up playing games that are like competitive, like winner loser games and girls tend to play more cooperatively. Like think about the difference between baseball and house. Yeah. Right. And, and again, good, bad, whatever, if you don't fit, unless you played house, like how I did, where I was like, you do this and you do this and you do this. And then even still nobody wins. You might be, you might be the boss of the house, but you're not the winner of (laughs) the house. Right. It's fair. Right. And like, even when we played on the playground, star Wars, you know, even there, there's like one girl. I remember, um, right. my, My little friend, we were like first or second grade. And my friend and I, we were both um, like socially, we had like the same social status, like alpha Mm -hmm. girls. And so we split the princess Leia role, right? And then, (laughs) (laughs) because there's only the one and then, and then every other girl's a droid or a stormtrooper. That's it. There's nothing else. Um, (laughs) But anyway, in this book, so she was saying like, in general, boys play games with rules, winners, losers. And also when they lose and then walk away from the game, the game stays like on the court and then they go and they're all friends again. Um, Whereas with girls, if there's some kind of conflict in the game, it spills over into, you know, the relational stuff, they have to kind of clean it up. And so what she was pointing to is business is played by boy game rules, you know, winner loser type. Um, And we should do a whole podcast on uh, Simon Sinek and infinite game. And we should do it 
however we do it, it should be the one that like maximizes me being able to meet him and sit on his lap. I was going to say for sure, we should figure out how you can fangirl him. Right. I'm such a Simon Sinek fangirl. He looks a lot like Eric. He reminds me of Eric. He has that like cute geeky thing about him too. So I just think he's adorable. But anyway, um, so she was saying like business is played more by these winning, losing rules. And she had it all cast as, you know, masculine, feminine, but really it was more of a win-lose than cooperative. And so it was basically like a handbook of how to not get creamed when you're playing by girl rules to, to learn how to play by boy rules. And again, she wasn't making even any value judgment, like this right. is good or this is bad. She's just like, listen, here's the reality where business is today. And I don't know how relevant the book is now. This was in the nineties. Um, but it had a lot of good stuff and it's like, oh, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. But you know, the fact that that book even exists, like how to play in business so that you don't lose because you never learned how to play. And that, um, one of the things she did mention too, and I realized even back then that the fact that there's more than one kind of rules is invisible. Like I even talked to some of my guy friends at the time about this book and they're like, what do you mean? That's just how business is right. As if business wasn't created by people who have an approach and a perspective and a context. And they were like, no, that's just business. Like, if you don't like it, like maybe women are just not bad, not good at business because business is like, like the sky is blue and the grass is green and business works like this. Um, And so I definitely was like really pulled into that conforming, but also really starting to get kind of irritated about it. And also um, as a manager uh, and gosh, Google did a project about this called Uh, project oxygen, I think. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, that's more recent. And they analyzed what was like, what made really effective, great managers. And most of those characteristics are what we would consider to be the way quote women manage. Um, So my teams loved working for me, but I wasn't really getting ahead. Right. Cause I wasn't playing the different whatever. Right. But that's not what we're going to talk about. That's just all background. But so when So when we came to conversations, like anytime we come to conversations in this particular area, one of these days, we're going to have to pick one where you're like super advanced and I'm coming along behind you, like mystery (laughs) or community or whatever. Um, Like I was much farther down the road, almost like my irritation with the church is about two years ahead of yours. Well, I mean, Um, identity, I get to take the lead on that one. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about everything. I don't mind following along. I'm a mere disciple at your feet when it comes to identity and value. (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> yes, but I'm de- you're definitely been light years ahead of conversations that I was willing to engage around, you know, quote feminism. And also, you know, just really like there was, I think there was kind of a price to pay culturally. I mean, I worked, my ex-husband worked in conservative politics. And so, you know, we were surrounded by conversations about, you know, statistically who votes what ways and um, the impact of even just things like women's right to vote and that we, you know, statistically, we never would have elected um, a, um, a, an extremely left leaning president if women weren't part of the voting statistic. And so there was just like a lot of conversation around what it meant to value maybe more conservative traditional values um, in those communities than, you know, like you for sure didn't want to be thought of as a feminist. And even now, like, my love for men does really have me rejecting a lot of those identities and a lot of the, a lot of what I see about that as an identity, but I'm still landing in a place where I have to be in action. Right. um, Like the meaning I never did. 
Yeah. Like the meaning that has added to it. Um, right. The, the meaning that gets added to it because there is a, there is a, a, a conversation, whether it's true or not, there is a conversation that like feminism means you hate men. Um, right. You may as well be a lesbian. <laughs> like a man hating lesbian, not yeah, just a man a lesbian that likes other women, like an avid man hater. Right. Yeah. Super militant. And um, as I already mentioned, I just, I just love, I just get such, so much delight of hanging around with men and talking to them. And there's a way <laughs> that I'm not sure how to say what I want to say without it making me sound creepy, but like, I also, I'm just going <laughs> to say enjoy rather than love. Like I also really enjoy little boys, like not in a creepy way, but just, I just love to play with them. And um, cause I preschool, you know, is my favorite age to play with. And right. I just think they're so funny and fun and, and little girls too. It's not one or the other, but like, I really enjoy and appreciate men and boys in a way that I think a lot of women don't. Um, I agree. Partly because I have played with them all my life, but also like anytime, I don't mean this to be infantilizing anytime when I'm with a man, I think he's at his most charming when his little boy comes out, like just so cute. Like what you and I, what I taught, taught you the phrase is like when they show you their Legos like when it's the best right it makes me think of all the things that I mean I like I wanted to say like how much I liked men and stuff when I was dating and whatever but the reality was like you kind of helped me fall in love with how men show up when they're at their best and yeah. it was like so delightful and this is kind of a funny story but the first one of the one of the early dates with my husband I went to his house and he made me you know, like this beautiful sushi dinner candlelight. The first thing he did was like, you know, he's giving me a little tour of his apartment. He's like, Hey, lay on my bed, it's zero gravity. And he's like showing me all this stuff. And I was like, this is super weird. And Lynn was like, no, no, he's showing you his Legos. Like he's just like your boys were when they were little bringing right. you their things to see. Cause they're the coolest things they have to show you. And I was like, Oh, and I just right. love, I love it. It's such a tender hearted, sweet thing when you see it like that. Right. Yeah. Because there's one, you could if you don't have that appreciation, it could have been like a really creepy sexual thing. Like, Hey, lay in my bed right. and let's, you know, like he's trying to trick you in some kind of weird way. But I mean, he showed you, but instead he's standing beside it with a remote control, like, right. showing all the <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he showed you his dragon just as much. And I do remember that conversation <laughs> he came home and he's like, this, this, he, said, he did this, this, and this like, Oh yeah. He's showing you his Legos. Look at this yeah. cool rock I found. And, um, <laughs> And he, he'll text me his favorite pictures all the time, which is just totally adorable. Your husband, not mine. He'll text yes. me like, look at this picture I took of a Buffalo. I'm like, it's so cool. Cause that's exactly, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's exactly like, and, and that's just, I mean, that really is men at their best. And also, I mean, again, it's not just the infantilizing, like when they're being strong and all the other things, but there's just like a sweetness and we were talking like on the identity. Yeah. yeah. We were talking in the identity podcast that they really get muted um, relationally. And there's a place where like, when there's men that we're close to, um, we really can give them the gift of the ability to express themselves that way. Um, because culturally they're pretty much, again, I'm only speaking American culture. I can't speak for the whole world. The one I live in is the one I know. Um, they're really, they're really restricted culturally to only give that to their romantic partner. And then maybe a couple very, very close female friends that they would consider like a sister. Yeah. Um, and so one of the gifts we can really give them is like allowing them to be like that with us. 
because um, they're not really allowed to be that way with each other, except outside of war and sports. Um, right. And again, like culturally, they're really only supposed to give that, you know, very soft side to their romantic partner or maybe their children, um, right. which is tragic, right? I mean, it's just so allowing them to just be soft. Um, I mean, I think that like we've talked about a lot of the things we see in like our kids' generation around what they're processing around identity. And I see a lot of, you know, parents complaining and, you know, being frustrated about it. But the reality is like, we've so like in such a crazy way defined gender roles that our kids are really unpacking and rejecting that. And we might not like how they're doing it, but we have to look, you know, first to the way that we've embodied those roles that you, you can't, we don't acknowledge really how much we are all have access to both. Right. Exactly. And like what we're allowed quote allowed um, to do. And yeah. So let's talk about the, um, so there's the background. (laughs) That was the whole podcast. That podcast too will be not the background anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in for part two, where we talk about what we said we were going to talk about. Um, So let's talk about the whole, what you jokingly call um, Allie becomes a feminist. Okay. So we started, you know, about 200 days ago or so, this um, year 300 day program by, by a teacher who we really respect. And we really thought about like, do we share the name or not? Because we never want to shame anyone, but I have so much positive to say. I think in this case, like speaking to it is just a fantastic example. So it's a 300 day. We both really, we both really love and enjoy this teacher. And we've consumed a whole bunch of his content up to this point, which is why we both decided to drop a thousand dollars on this program. Um, So this is not intended to bash or shame or anything like that, but yeah, we really did talk about it. And I mean, you can say more, but I just wanted to jump in that. I also admire and respect this teacher and has, have been, have learned a ton from him and have been really grateful for his content promoted his content, spent lots yeah. of money on yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we decided to join this like 300 day coaching program that was really targeted around like self-mastery and the program's called Optimize. And the kind of core teacher guy is named Brian Johnson. And he kind of fashions himself as, you know, a modern day, um, stoic philosopher. Fair. And I would say he very, he really does like what he says he is. He actually really is works to embody yeah. what he believes. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. He's yeah not, I, agree. I mean, it'd be one thing if he said, and you know, like, um, like we were talking about some of the people, like they say one thing and they do another, like, Oh, I'm, I'm so pro this. You know, and then you find out that they do something actually the opposite of that in their life. He's not like that at all. Like he really is very much in alignment, at least from the outside, what I can see. Um, no, I agree with you. I think very much really in alignment. Is. Yeah. With his principles and what he's committed to. And you know, I took on for me, like I really wanted to take on this program, like mid COVID I'm kind of drowning in how difficult it is to do anything. And I was struck by like, one of my goals had been to do 300 days of yoga in 2019. And I did like 10 and I was like in a time when it should be the quote easiest. Cause like, I don't have, I'm not traveling. I don't have all these appointments. Like this should be the easiest time to adopt some of the practices that have been on my list to do for years, I'm doing the worst. And so it really, like, I was really drawn to the program and I will say like freaking amazing results. Like how I took it on was like, I'm going to consume every single piece of content, 
which is hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. But I have absolutely done it all wholeheartedly, but I have produced amazing results inside that. I mean, I just finished, I mean, I think today was our like 120 some day of yoga in a row and, you know, implementing a really good morning routine and some of those things that I got from the program, like I highly valued what I got out of the program in addition to, you know, my new feminist, you know, take on things, but what <laughs> was, happened was an accidental result, uninte- uh, unintended result. <laughs> oh, but that's where we got the ladies room from too, because there was a bunch of us doing it together. And that's, yes. that was the group text where we pulled off. And said, no, this is going to go in the ladies room. Right. We need to have a talk about this. That doesn't include the boys. Um, but I think what happened along the way is that I was having to do so much work to translate the concepts into um, not just an idiosyncratic expression. Like I feel, I feel like, I mean, right. All this identity work, I feel pretty good about who I am and what to do in the world and how I like to do things. And I don't care about getting a gold star from the teacher. Like I'll cross something stupid off the list and be like, that doesn't work for me, but I was still having to do so much work to translate the information into a way that even felt accessible to me because I was a woman and not interested in this very like militaristic approach to a lot of things well, that it had me flailing. Yeah. Well, you, I think you kind of jumped to the end. So let's, let's talk about oh. kind of how you arrived there. So um, a lot of, and he's not the only one who does this, right? We're not, again, we're not trying to shame this guy. We're just pointing to something, but um, a lot of it is we, we were kind of starting to talk, just kind of nibbling around the edges of it, of like, Oh yeah, that's great. If you don't have kids to get to school or if you don't have, um, you know, whatever, whatever those like the labor, this all works super well. If you have a woman tending your life, right? there was so much of that where it was like, (laughs) yeah, you can take, do you want to tell the nap story? Yes. I was going to say the one where I really lost my shit was when he was talking about sleep and he said, um, in the middle of the day, I like to take a nap. And so my wife will make sure the kids are downstairs, not being loud. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. Um, and when is her nap? And, and for all I know, maybe they do have a time when she's allowed to nap, but something tells me, no, probably not. Um, and and right. she'll not, say the family wouldn't eat if I wasn't doing what I do for the family. Right. Yeah. And it's not just this program, right? There's a, a mutual friend of ours who has a, a special needs son and she was doing some kind of, um, she, she was reading some kind of meditation course or something. And, um, the monk or whoever it was who wrote the course said, you know, I just can't face my day unless I start with two hours of prayer. And she's like, yeah, you obviously don't have a special needs child. And I'm like, or any child, right. <laughs> right. Has, what, what mother has a two hour block. And I mean, I'm sure there's moms who kill it and do it. Um, I have a good friend who's a German mom and she's, I'm in awe of how, <laughs> how, or, but she's also German too. Um, right. Well, that's the one. And so we started having these conversations of, okay. And we started, and we really were being trying to be really fair. Okay. Which of this is idiosyncratic? Like you said, which of this is like, okay, how, how is it different if you don't work from home? Cause he also works from home. So how is it different if you have a nine to five job? How is it different this? Because there is a place where he can't create a program that works for everyone. You have to definitely, um, everybody has to tailor any, any content to themselves, right? Because no one has his exact life. Um, But the more we looked, the more there really was. And there was even something about um, there's like a physical side too, where it's like every day you're just 1% better and stuff. And we talked about like, if you have a monthly cycle, that's not true. Like, and we tend to talk about 
just the days of the month when we aren't at our best. But the other side of that coin is during the estrogen peak women, uh, I'm sorry, during the estrogen peak week, women kill it. Like when we're firing on all, like, so our peak performance guys tend, I mean, they have hormonal shifts too, but they tend to be more like consistent across the board and we have peaks and valleys, but our peaks are insane. Like that week, right before you ovulate, you're just like an unstoppable machine. Um, and that there was nothing right. in there about like today's best might be way different than yes. Like my period week best might not be as great as my ovulation week best. And you and I aren't even that much in that conversation about like, how do right. I build my life around my period? Um, but Which there still- are some interesting conversations in the optimized community happening around that when the, when his wife is doing like a coaching session or something. And I didn't actually know that men experience the same hormonal cycles that women do. They just do it all in a day, what we do in a month. And I was like, that's really interesting. And still like, there's so much, um, about, you know, that kind of consistency and the, like, do you want to talk about like the Spartan race and kind of this physical, really aggressive? Oh yeah. Yeah. So there was, so I was getting really turned off by, um, it does feel very paramilitary, like, Ooh, 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 like a chest thump. I wish I can, I, can I, does it pick it up? If I thump my chest, on the microphone? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I don't, <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Hoorah. We'll a lot of hoorah. Anyway. Um, and, and I right. So... With so much respect for the military and he loves Navy seals and he's interviewed all these, you know, extreme military Rangers and seals. And like, he takes, you know, these books and makes these fantastic, like philosophers notes out of them. And again, so many of them are kind of in that bent. Right. And, and yeah, I'm glad you said that because again, all respect to the military, I don't have a problem with the military. It's just not for me. Um, I I actually did a project speaking of a varied background. I actually did a project with Navy SEALs once and it was really cool. They were amazing and incredibly disciplined. I was super proud to write software that helped support them and keep them safe. Like that was great. Um, so there was something about it. It's just like, so, and even just extreme athletics. And at the end, everyone does a Spartan race where you like go through an obstacle course. We're like, eh, that's not really for me. And it's not just because like, I, I probably not the most physically disciplined as far as like the stuff I like to do, but I've done really super hard yoga. I've done really hard weightlifting. Like I used to run not as much anymore. My knees don't love it, but it's, but it's just not like a, yeah, I'm going to crawl through the mud and jump over. It just, there's no appeal. And there was something just so like the energy of it. Um, and then where it really reached a peak and I was starting to get more irritated way before you did. I'm like, there is no room. And even when he would list like, and this works for you, no matter who you are. And he would list lists. And then he would always end with like, or even if you're just a mom, (laughs) I'm like, that is, he might not have said just, but like, there uh, is that sort of, maybe, I don't know for sure, but this kind of like, even if you're a mom doing this at home, like it fits. And I'm like, right. Yeah. And also, also, and he's just in it. He's not generating this conversation, but the conversation that you would like, if you're a doctor or a mom, like, well, what about if you're a doctor and a mom, you know, where does that fit in? Um, Like that there's this, this category called mom. I mean, I've had all kinds of jobs and careers and stuff since I birthed a child and they all went along with being a mom. There was And there were times when I was a stay-at-home mom too. So, you know, again, no hate on that, but he just kind of, it just felt like an afterthought. So I was already a little irritated. I'm like, there's something in here that I just don't like. And I feel like as a woman, there's, this just doesn't, it's just really rubbing me. So, um, one of the things and pretty early on, right? Like even like, you know, in the first month or 
for sure right. in the first six weeks. Like, right. and then I, yeah. and that's about the time I was like, okay, this well, is really you, at first you were resisting it. And so, and I was oh, trying yeah, to, like, point to like, this is such a masculine voice. So I can remember one of the pieces of content, he does these um, philosopher's notes that are like, kind of like cliff notes for great books. And, and you have are, to listen to a hundred. Yeah. There are 100 in the program. So I said, let's just sit down and count how many of these are authored by men and how many authored by women. And at first you thought I meant all the philosopher's notes he's ever created. Cause he has a Which program is like hundreds and hundreds, yeah, hundreds yeah. and hundreds. I said, no, let's just count the ones, the 100 ones that are in this program. So we sat down and we counted and it was how many were just men? 87. I mean, it was, I was going to say it was well over 80. It I was in the eighties. Yeah. And then there was and then a, some of those that weren't written just by men were like men and women together. Yeah. Co-written like by a husband, wife or co-written by a man. Right. Woman. And then most of the ones that were written by women that he had exclusively by women. And there's, there's exceptions like Angela Duckworth was on the list and Susan Pierce Thompson, but they were mostly like very soft, like, and, and then here's a book on parenting written by right. you know, Julia and parent. Right. Um, and, Here's a book on love, which of course a woman would be authoring. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, lo- the love chapter is where I dropped out because I'm like, you don't have anything <laughs> to teach me about this. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with men, but I was just like, I can't take, I mean, I remember ranting to you about it. Like, I just can't take the monochromatic form of this program that it's like, it, there's no diversity is such a large, uh, a loaded word, but there's like no texture to this. It's like, I love chocolate ice cream and I don't want to eat chocolate ice cream every day, every meal for 300 meals. And then occasionally be right. able to eat like three strawberries. Um, and right. that's the, so I'm like, listen, this is such a, and again, it's, it's like the woman who wrote the, the hardball for women. Like you get, you get immersed in something like, no, that's just how business is. And so a lot of the philosophy and the personal development and the self-development, like men have the stage, they have the microphone and it's just like, oh, uh, and, and there's a place where you don't necessarily realize, oh, wow, I'm really listening only to one flavor of voice until you right. sit down. And, and so that was kind of like the small little flame of, Ali's feminism flickers to life <laughs> in that right. moment because it was like maddening to look at like how many of these coach luminaries how many of you know like inside the program it's like Brian and this amazing guy Michael who does like how to dissect a lot of the stuff and then once a month they have like Brian's wife on doing you know a coaching session and you're like yeah we're gonna give kind of a nod to the women and she's extraordinary but it's still like it's almost this feeling of like, well, she couldn't stand alone. She's getting this token nod because it's her, it's her husband. And then then in that little pocket, we're going to have all these conversations about femininity and whatever. And I think that like all the work around how hard it was to translate that into my life was really frustrating. And then we started thinking like, okay, so where are the women philosophers? So fairly, there are not many, right? Like well, women, there aren't, there aren't many recorded. There aren't many recorded. Right. Of course. Because, like, yes, that's what I meant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause we started talking about, well, yeah, that was a very dangerous, I mean, looking anciently, right. I mean, in right. the modern world, you can make a little effort and find these conversations, but um, anciently we were talking about, they must've had to go underground as mystics and sages and 
witches and wise women, um, all of which are very risky professions. Right. Right. Like you and I have talked about one of the best ways to label what I do is whatever the Christian word is for witch, but that, that would be a very risky role to, to move into. Like women literally get killed um, for being that uppity. Um, But yeah, there was just, um, and, and there's a place to where, I mean, we talked about the philosopher's notes being in the eighties, but there's a whole bunch of other content. I would say most of the content is 85 to 90% male voices. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 I think part of, go ahead. Well, Well, I wanted to ask you if you would say, you know how, when we were talking, you were kind of unpacking, like women are used to translating, so they're not throwing a fit, but men don't translate like the same content, the same way, like women know in society, like in leadership, I literally can't think of a leadership book I've read by a woman. And I could probably list like 10 off the top of my head that were life-changing written by men. And leadership is my work in the world, you know, my passion. Right. Right. And when they are, they're like that book, I was saying the hard wall for women, which was written about how to survive. Um, Well, but in, we're pointing right now to like one kind of dominant culture, right? So anytime, anytime someone is in the dominant culture, um, whether it's sex or race or whatever, there's a million, um, you tend to start to think of yourself as the default. Like this is the thing. And then everything else is a variant. Um, so like, this is just how business is. And the way women do business is a variant. Um, there's a guy on Facebook who's, who I absolutely love. I don't, it's probably written by a woman. Um, it's a Facebook (laughs) account called the man who has it all. And, um, they, they post all the things that are written about women, but as men, like, uh, I'm doing a panel of doctors. Does anybody know any male doctors I could talk to? Like all the nonsense bullshit stuff that we say, um, just with it flipped. And when you hear it that way, it really jars, but we've been so cultured that we are the exception. We are the whatever, even though we're a little bit more than half of the population, like we're some kind of deviation. Like if you watch, um, well, I taught you about the Bechdel test the, the mm-hmm. movie, the test about movies, where if you, if you guys don't know, um, if the movie has two named female characters that talk to each other about something other than a man, um, that's a really low bar. Like you don't even have to be a, a feminist movie to pass that bar. And most movies, like the vast majority, way more than 50%, don't even pass that bar. And like, if you were consuming, um, if you were consuming our media, like if you're an alien planet consuming our media, you would think that it, our, our race was like 90% men and 10% women, because right? that's what, Agreed. that's the representation. And so women are used to being like, okay, I'm the variant. I'm the weird thing. So I have to adapt this to myself. And we're just so used to it that we don't, I mean, you weren't even objecting at first. And I was kind of like jumping up and down and screaming. Although as we've discussed, I get angry a lot faster and easier than you do. Um, but we're just so used to it, you know, like I'm reading a book called hardball for women trying to learn rather than going, wait, this whole system is fucked. Right. How do I get out of this shitty system? And that's one of the things that's been hardest for me to wrestle with around optimize. Like I will, in all fairness, I've only provided complaint about this twice in my 300 days, 200 days of consume. Well, like 250 maybe is what we're at now consuming content. But I've really wrestled with like, is it my job to take this on? But when I've communicated that I 
like strenuously objects and how frustrating it is and how like I love this content I mean I essentially like brought four people to participate in Mm -hmm. this like you know just because I was doing it like I and I haven't asked a single person to invite since then so just from a hey what we're doing maybe is actually turning our promoters off I should maybe look at this like they've responded to all my other questions and inquiries and things but that that um my like hey I'm really struggling with this like has gone totally ignored which leaves me thinking we both gave that feedback yeah they sent out a survey and I gave the feedback of basically I can't I can't even stand it anymore I got to the point where just listening to the content was making me so nuts I could I just I dropped out Right. But for all they you know, know, you saw it to pay your thousand dollars, but right, I mean, yeah, just to paying. totally not respond. Right. Like, right. And I'm like, okay, I like this content. I am going to be certified as a optimized coach at the end of this and blah, blah, blah. But, um, I like this community, but I don't want to send money here till this has changed. Like I want to vote with my, and so there's this in, I mean, that's what happens, right? Like there's such value in participating with both the norm culture that we really, I mean, there's a real price to be paid in one direction or the other for participating, not participating. You know, how do we vote with our money? How do we, how much work it takes to get heard? Um, And I just thought that like, I have really like been having to confront that in my own, you know, wanting to not in cancel culture, but really wanting to support things I value, really wanting to bring, you know, people to participate around things that are fantastic. And this program leaves me totally on the fence, like right. I'm right in between. Right. And on the fence is the most interesting thing because it would be one thing to say this content is garbage and walk away right. from it. But the content is you've produced amazing results and even me only doing half of it. Um, right. I'm pleased with some of the things and the habits. And it's not, it's not like banging on the table saying there should be a content that's 85% women. This isn't fair, but like this content would be improved by increasing the variety and it would probably be improved by bringing in black voices and Asian voices. I mean, that's, that's a, another it's conversation. It's just monochromatic. Right. And also one of the reasons we're not having that conversation is because in those conversations, like inside racial justice, I feel like I'm not a leader. I am a follower in that space. So I'm not going to talk a lot. I will listen to the other people that are talking. And if someone, well, wants you'll to talk a lot out, to oh, another white woman about it, Yeah, but right, inside yeah, of a yeah. public forum, right, right. There's a place where it's like, you know, don't pretend you in the circle when you're not. Right. It's not my turn to talk. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also why, because this isn't, you know, your birth into feminism isn't only about this. It's just kind of where it was like the genesis of it. Well, actually just hanging out with me was probably the genesis of it. Eventually but, um, that would grow. But we've been friends for years and years. Like I've never yeah. crossed that line until, until this space. Yeah. You would often resist a lot of my communications about like, this is sexist. Um, I'm like, I don't know. What about this? Or what about that? Yeah. yeah. And like, like things like uh, women te- crash test dummies that, that resemble women's anatomy weren't used in car tests until 2012. <laughs> like, okay. Right. Um, and I've seen actually men on Facebook, I mean, trolls, whatever trolls are going to troll. But now that there's a conversation about that, men are objecting like, oh no, we can't, they have to only be like us. I'm like what the hell? It's so that we can all be safe. No one's saying that we should be safe instead of you. Like that's not where we are. But um, I think this is also why to go back to episode one, um, why you had that visceral reaction 
inside church that day. Like, I think you were way more present to the, like, I'm not going to have this conversation about whether women can lead. You had kind of not really numbed out to it, but just like, uh, and, and now it's kind of like more like a pokey stick. Um, but no, do you it's true. Tell- and, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to tell like part two of that story? Um, I feel like ha- we should definitely save most of it, but I want to tell just one little part of it. Right. So I was at a different church in another city several weeks later, a couple of weekends ago. And what happened is that on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, which is usually like the worst possible church you could ever go to, because they're going to have some like, you know, BS nod to, you know, right. they're like going to read about women the Proverbs. making their lives great. Yeah. Proverbs, Proverbs 31 too. wife. And yeah. Like, just but instead, knowledge when the, she folds the laundry. Yeah. The pastor like floored me by like standing up and apologizing for you know, what has happened to women throughout history and throughout church and all stuff I've known. I wasn't like, wait, there were, there was a woman apostle that Paul talked about. Like, I wasn't shocked by that at all. Wait, but you said you didn't having, know about, you said you didn't know about her. No, no, I did. I just didn't know about that. Like translation of her name. Oh, okay. Um, but like so, most, like, wait, it wasn't so like for anyone, teaching, who, but for anyone ahead. who doesn't know, there was a woman apostle named Junia. And in many translations of the Bible, they changed her name to uh, Junius. Like a ma- basically, they changed her name from Jane to John because the people, pronouns match. right? And and people were like, "Well, women can't lead, so this must be a typo." And they like fixed it. <laughs> um, and then it became like, "Well, there are no women apostles because they erased her from history." But anyway, continue. So the the pastor said at one point like that women were the most oppressed people group throughout history. And of course, right, like across all of human history, that is unarguably true. And it hit, I mean, right, we don't, we're not, we're dealing with sex trafficking now around, you know, everyone, you know, like everyone's open for victimization and the majority of of people impacted are are women. And so when we- girls. Oh, girls, right. And so I was sitting there, you know, like in tears, like at his apology for, you know, the church's behavior toward women. And I didn't even know it was an apology I needed, but I was just like, so rocked. Like I've been in the church for, since I was 16 and I have never heard anyone say this publicly. Um, it only happens like on the outskirts and it's such a powerful, you know, place to be like, we might take a long time to shift. It might take a long time to really do the soul searching that's needed around these issues, wherever we are in the majority locating those things, but we've got to, um, you know, like we don't have anything to offer people until we can say that we're, that we're sorry. Right. That we're sorry. Yeah. Um, how do you think that would have landed for you differently or would it have landed differently if you hadn't just gone through that whole, Oh my gosh, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like like, kind of that, um, like distinction of, Oh man, I've been swimming in this monochromatic, voice thinking it was the voice and then realizing, oh no, it's just a voice that's been demonstrated as the, like, how do you think that would have been different? I, 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 I speculate that it would not have rocked you to tears. Um, if you hadn't just gone through that distinction. I mean, I will say like, I did really feel like, you know, there was just like something powerful about God moving in that space. So maybe, But I think even more, it was that like, I haven't been to church, you know, mostly for two years, like not, not at all, but like COVID and we were in Europe and, you know, like, and having my own 
opinions um, have evolved differently so that I was just like, I don't, I don't want to participate in this stupid conversation about what women should teach or not anymore. Like, I'm just not interested in even having the argument because it's so stupid. So having um, that kind of like acknowledged was, was incredibly powerful. Yeah. I mean, I was really, you were once again, texting me from church. Um. Yeah. The whole way through church. <laughs> Holy shit. You gotta listen and I to sent a time. lot of women that podcast to, and at, to the person, every single person I sent it to was like totally, you know, rocked, like super touched and, and really moved by it. So I think that was really valuable. Yeah. And so as the final, um, punctuation to this, or maybe it's more like a comma or a semicolon to this <laughs> conversation, tell about talking to the pastor on the way out the door, because this made us oh both in love with him. <laughs> I really want to ask him to come in the ladies room at some yes. point. So I hope this won't, you know, destroy that amusement of it. But I just, you know, like I sat all the way through church and I cried. I was like, you know, was driving back to Montana or back to Livingston, like hours away afterwards. So I used the restroom and then I'm walking out and he happens to be at the door and he just like, you know, full on gives me a hug. And I was, you know, like, you know, in church, like men give you like a side hug because, you know, sex and whatever, right? Like right, yeah. you just hugged me and it was like so genuine. And just, of course, like, you know, COVID's opening up in Montana. Like we don't have the same mandates anymore, but it was just like such a, um, like it was, you know, the combination of those things. And then I just said, like, I walked out of church for the first time in my life a couple of weeks ago because I was like, what the fuck was that? And he told me like, you should listen to the other sermon series. Um, called uh build something because you know essentially i'm totally misquoting him about the you know all the pieces of the context but he was like you know there's a revival happening in the church and god's not fucking around and i was like i like just the reality of right like everything doesn't have to be prim and proper and everything doesn't have to be perfect and the bravery that it takes to you know, be the kind of pastor who, or woman or whatever, who can use the F word, you know, just in the right place for the right punctuation. Like it can be super healing inside of shut up and behave and that messaging your whole life. And it was, I mean, it was just like God's, you know, hands on my heart, just like so healing. And you were like, I'm in love with him too. Like it was so, it was so great. And people are like, that can't be true. I'm like, I know it's amazing. Um, it was great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that feeling that shift coming, I mean, we're pointing to it a little bit, right. But it's not just revival. There's cultural shifts. I mean, the, we've talked about this a bunch, but the pace of like the, the evolutionary leap we're about to take as a, as humanity, unless we miss it is it's like, I I'm, I'm unprocessed here. As we were talking earlier, I can't speak (laughs) because there's so many things to say about it, but I love that he was feeling it in that particular. And I think having you, you know, distinguish, oh gosh, I'm wow. Feminism maybe for me, um, is part of that change, that cultural shift, that personal shift, that energy, whatever you want to call it shift that's happening. Like, you know, it's time to clean house and tackle racial injustice and social injustice systems injustice and the reality is if we don't bring i really believe strongly if we don't bring equanimity to these systems um however we locate ourselves in them we all have to cause you know real change not bullshit change that layers one more problem on top of another problem on top of another problem but if we don't bring real change intentionally we're going to end up with i think you know things that are revolutionary in a way that 
unfortunately, violent. like the most post-capitalists talk about being really violent, but I don't right. think there's a reason for that because human beings are incredibly generative and amazing. And I think we can adopt those changes. And I think most people want them, but I mean, it's hard to have those kinds of systemic changes often without revolution. And I think that, you know, the revolution can come from a place of healing and taking ownership and saying, you're sorry, like, even when you didn't do it yourself wrong, like bringing healing to each other can be so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's a great place to end. And we won't make any promise about next time, but I think we have about 50 different places we could go from here. I agree. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yep. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Thank you. Ciao. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at 5 Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you.